chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And once you've found verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you'd stand for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to read from verse 14 down through verse number 17. And we'll read responsively. I'll begin at 14. We'll begin together in verse 15. The Bible says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, our theme this year is Love Works, and uh, we are in our third series this of uh, the year, The Power of Love, The Power of Love. Love is a powerful force, and uh, we've looked at many aspects of the power of God's love. Today, we'll turn our attention to this truth, Love Constrains, Love Constrains. Verse 14 says, The love of Christ constraineth us. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to grasp and understand a truth that, Lord, if we're not careful, we can easily ignore. We can easily run roughshod over and forget. Lord, help us to allow your love to be the restraints around us. Lord, help us to see your calling on our lives as reasonable service, no matter what it is. And Lord, help us to give our all to it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. What does it mean to be constrained by love? Let me illustrate. At home, I do not wash my hands in the kitchen sink. Why, you might ask? Because my wife hates it when anybody washes their hands in the kitchen sink. And she says, you're going to get all those germs all over my dishes, and then we're going to eat on those dishes. And early on in my marriage, we argued about that. How many of you had silly arguments early on in your marriage? Amen? And uh, how many still have? No, <laughs> um, I guess uh, we do at times. And so at some point, I just gave in and said, I'm not going to worry about what's logical. I'm going to worry about what makes my wife Feel loved. I understand that she loves me, and because she loves me and deeply loves me, I will not wash my hands in the sink, at least not while she's looking. Amen? Uh, when she's not home, I can't say what I do. But when she is home, I try my best not to wash my hands in the sink. Why? I let her love constrain my actions. By the way, that goes for not wearing my shoes in the house. That goes for the way I make my bed. That goes for the way I pull the shower curtain closed after I take a shower and put the toilet seat down. And I got a laundry list of things that I've been trained to do as a married man. Why? Because I know my wife loves me. I know my wife deeply loves me and I love her. And the love that we share, it constrains me. It restricts my behavior because I indeed love her and I know that she loves me. There are times as a as a man that I want to be by myself. How many of you like to be alone sometimes? Amen. You just want to go and be alone. You don't want to be around people 
Sometimes I just go wander around Home Depot. Just I'm not buying anything. I'm just I'm not even looking at anything. I'm just walking. Amen. And I'm being a man. No, I'm, I'm walking around Home Depot, and I'm uh, just I just want to be by myself for a little while. And I've been around people all day. Maybe I've gone and been with my family all day, and and I just need some alone time. And uh, uh, sometimes I'm at work all day here at the church, and I'm counseling or I'm ministering to people. I'm working on messages. I'm studying the Bible, and I go home. And I get home, and my wife says, "Hey, I need some things from the store. Would you be willing to go to the store?" And my first thought is, "I'm going to go by myself." Then I remember I've got two little kids at home that love me and want to spend time with me. Now, my flesh wants to go alone sometimes. But because I know my children love me, it constrains me to take them with me and invest and spend time with them. And as they get older, the conversations are becoming a little bit more mature, right? We're not talking about Paw Patrol and Dora the Explorer anymore. We're, we're moving into some uh, topics that uh, maybe are, are a little bit more engaging. Let me give you another example how love constrains. Love constrains. I took time to put this sermon together. Uh, many of you know that my family was on vacation this past week. You all were very generous and, and giving and loving and, and provided for us a trip to Old Saybrook uh, Marina and Resort. And uh, we went and stayed in a nice hotel around uppity, uppity rich people. And I felt a little out of place, to be honest, because I'm not an uppity, uppity rich people. We had a great time. And we stayed in a nice hotel, and uh, we, uh, we had, a, we had a, a time to rest and relax. And I uh, kept thinking the whole time I was gone, and if you've ever uh, had to preach on a regular basis, you'll know what I'm talking about here, but Sunday is coming. Sunday is coming. I've got to have a message ready. I've got to preach. I've got to have a message ready. And you know what my flesh said? My flesh said, don't worry about it. Just take a break. Just vacation. You, you can get someone else to preach for you Sunday morning. But I know White Oak Baptist Church loves me. And I know White Oak Baptist Church loves sound doctrine. And they need the milk of the word preached. And so... I took the time to prepare this message. Why? Because the love you all have for me constrained me to get something together to share with you the Word of God. I would like you to take just a moment and stop and think about the relationships in your life, whether you're married or single, whether you have children or not. Uh, maybe it's um, uh, an employer or it's coworkers or neighbors. Uh, whoever those relationships would be. Maybe it's even the relationships you have here at church. Does the love that other people have for you alter your behavior? I think if we're all honest with ourselves, the answer is yes. Yes. The deeper somebody loves you, the more they get to constrain you or dictate your behavior. The deeper someone loves you, the more influence they have in your life to tell you what they do or don't want you to do. And sometimes it isn't like they sit you down and say, I want you to do this, this, and this. Sometimes it's just body language or a tone of voice or someone is tired. How many of you here have ever gone out of your way to do something nice 
for a loved one because you knew they were just having a tough time. Amen? All of us have been there. We've all done that. Uh, uh, those of you that are awake, amen? Raise your hand for me. Very good. All right. Uh, you know why you do that? Because their love is constraining you to a set of actions. And the, uh, the Apostle Paul here said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, he said, the love of Christ constraineth us. Now, um, what does that word constrain mean? Let's quickly do this. Take your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 24. Interestingly enough, the root word for constrain that Paul used here, this is the only time in the New Testament it is translated constrain. It's translated uh, many other things that I'll show you here, but I think if by looking at everywhere else that this root word was used, or a good chunk of places where this root word was used, we can get a better idea of what it means to constrain. Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, says, In his fame, speaking of Jesus, went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken. That, that phrase, that were taken, comes from the same word as constraineth in verse 14 of our text. Uh, so let's see here. What, what does it mean to constrain? Brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had the palsy and he healed them. So we see here that these people had diseases and sicknesses that constrained them. They limited them. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 38. All of the rest of the verses we'll look at involving this idea of constraint will be in Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 4 and verse 38. It says, And he arose, again speaking of Jesus, out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother, or Peter's mother-in-law, Simon's mother-in-law, was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. Have you ever been so sick that you had a fever that was 102, 103, 104, and you felt like you couldn't even move? You were stuck in bed, and all you could do is just lay there and, and go between cold sweats and hot sweats. You were constrained by your fever. We see here in Luke chapter 4 that Simon's mother-in-law was constrained or taken with a great fever. Turn over to Luke chapter 8 and look at verse number 37. Luke chapter 8 and verse 37. The Bible says, Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them, for they were taken with great fear, and he went up into the ship and returned back again. Without going into all the details, this is a story where Jesus gets off the boat and the maniac of Gadara, the lunatic, meets him there and asks Jesus for help, and Jesus casts the demons that are in the man into the swine, and they run off the edge of the cliff, and then the keeper of the swine run into the town and tell uh, the, 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 the town people that, about this Jesus, Jesus guy, and they're so afraid of what Jesus did, the powers that he had. The Bible says they were constrained or they were taken with great fear. They were limited by fear. We talked about fear a few weeks ago when we said uh, that fear uh, has its own torment. Fear brings about its own punishment. We saw uh, that uh, fear is its own punishment, right? When you're afraid, you're limited. How many of you here have ever been so afraid of something, you were paralyzed and you couldn't even move? You know what I'm talking about? We at times have mice problems in the Lejeune house. 
And my wife is terrified. I mean terrified of mice. My wife has spent the night for a week at a time in other people's house over the thought of there being mice in her house. In fact, we were getting ready to go on a vacation uh, this past Monday. And I'm laying in bed waiting for my wife. And she sends me a text. And she says, I think there's a mouse in the kitchen. Come quietly. And so I get out of bed and I tiptoe into the kitchen. And she's standing there like this. And she's staring at the wall socket. And there's... Some noises in the wall. To this day, I don't know what that was. And um, uh, I said, go on to the room. I'm going to look under the sink. And so she went in the room, and, and, I, came, and I, uh, I opened up the, 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 underneath the sink, and I pulled all the stuff out, and there was nothing, obviously, right? There never is. And, and um, uh, not like I was actually going to find anything. And I went around the corner, and I opened up the door. And me opening the door, uh, I guess she thought I was a gigantic mouse because she screamed at the top of her lungs, and she jumped up on the bed and, and got into a fetal position. I said... It's just me. You have nothing to be afraid of. How, uh, fear can constrain us, can it not? It can paralyze us. And uh, maybe it isn't a mouse you are afraid of. Maybe it's something entirely different, and, and, uh, altogether different, but fear constrains. Look at verse number 45 of the same chapter. We see this idea of constraint being translated even yet a little bit different. The Bible says, And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng, there's that word constraineth, throng thee and press thee. And sayest thou, who touched me? Jesus is on his way to uh, help the synagogue leaders Um, A child who is sick and the woman who has an issue of blood reaches out and touches his clothing. You remember the story, right? And Jesus turns and says, who touched me? And everyone denies it. We didn't touch you. Lord, we don't know what uh, you're talking about. And the disciples say, come on. Everybody's touching you. People are bumping into you left and right. The Bible says here the crowd thronged or constrained him. Jesus got to uh, dictate the general direction. Please don't miss this. He got to dictate the general direction he was going into. But in his humanity, he could not move freely wherever he wanted. His direction was guided, but his where he got to go was a, a constraint on many levels. And, and, and so we'll see that here as it relates to us spiritually in a moment. Turn over to Luke chapter 19. Just two more here. Luke chapter 19 and verse number 43. Luke 19, verse 43. The Bible says, For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side. Keep thee in on every side. Luke chapter 22 and verse 63. That keep thee in on every side. Keep thee in and on every side is the word constrain used twice. It's, it's saying here, constrain, constrain. Constrain, constrain. Almost like you're constrained on the left and right and you're constrained in the front and the back. You are double constrained. Luke chapter 22, verse 63, we see here where Jesus is arrested. The Bible says, And the men that held or constrained Jesus mocked him and smote him. They, Jesus allowed himself to be arrested, put in handcuffs. Walked and tried. Not once, not twice. Four or five different trials took place the night before Jesus died. The Bible says that they held Jesus. They mocked Him. They constrained Him. They mocked Him. They smote Him. Now with that process in mind, go back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
and look at verse number 14. Now that we have an idea of what it means to constrain, to be controlled by, to be uh, boxed in, if you're double constrained, to be thronged, to be kept in on every side. Look at second, uh, first, rather, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. The Bible says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. You see the power that God's love ought to have on our lives? Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, To say the love of Christ constraineth us is to say that the love of Christ has power. It has a force that can bind us and influence us. The love of Christ had pressed Paul's energy into one force, turned them into one channel, and then driven them forward with a wonderful force till he and his fellows had become a mighty power for good, ever active, and energetic. Can you say that about the love of Christ in your life? Does it constrain you? Does it dictate to you? Does it uh, keep you within boundaries? Is it thronging you and pressing you in the right direction? Many Christians ignore the love of Christ and trample all over what it means. The proposition of the message, the thought I want you to consider this morning is very simple. I propose that because Jesus died for you, you should live for Him. Is that simple enough this morning? Because Jesus died for you, you should live for Jesus. Now, to the degree that we abide under His love, the stronger our desire will be to live what's right and do what's right. You show me a Christian who's sold out for the Lord and serving Him full time with their life, I'll show you a Christian that at least at some point was strongly under the love of God and allowing God's love to influence them and push them toward uh, a serving God with their life. And by the way, you don't have to be full-time in ministry to serve God wholeheartedly with your white life. God doesn't call everyone to be a pastor or a missionary. God doesn't call everyone into full-time Christian service. But God does call everyone to be a full-time Christian servant to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Whether you teach school like Miss Rose, or you drive a truck like Brother Sean, or uh, uh, you, uh, you, you coach soccer over here like Brother Isaac, or you're retired like Brother Bob, right? Sitting back and living the easy life, amen? Uh, whatever it is that you do, God calls you to a physical work, but He also calls you to an eternal work. He calls you to do a work, and He wants you to give your whole life to it. Your whole Life to it. The more you dwell on and focus on the love of Christ, the more you allow the power of Christ's love to be experienced in your life, the more it constrains you. It limits your activity and behavior to do what's right. Quickly here, let me give you three points. And um, uh, we'll go through these real quick and we'll be done. Point number one, I encourage you to take notes on the back of your bulletin there. Notice, we must deny our flesh. We must deny our flesh. Look at verse 15 of Second um, uh, Corinthians chapter 5 there. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 15 says, And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died 
for them and rose again. Look there again in the middle of the verse. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. We're not called to live unto ourselves. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Just a few chapters there to the left. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and look at verse number 2. The very first thing that Paul says the love of Christ constrains is his flesh. What does our flesh want to do? Generally, everything that we shouldn't do. Right? Our flesh wants to do what we shouldn't uh, do. Look at verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 10. But I beseech you, I beg you, that I may not be bold uh, when I am present with the confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now, just a real quick explanation here. Paul wrote some pretty bold letters to the church of Corinth. If you don't believe me, go read 1 Corinthians, where the entire book is just a reprimand of their carnal ways. And uh, he, uh, in essence, to use an old-school, independent, fundamental Baptist term, he ripped their faces off. He just let them have it. He ripped them, he ripped them a good one, right? And, um, and he's saying to them here in this book where he's trying to reconcile with the church, this is actually the third letter to the church of Corinth, but the second one um, uh, that, uh, that was inspired by Scripture, he's saying in this letter, when I come to you, I don't want to have to be confrontational. I want it to be a kind reunion. He said, but for me to get there... You need to understand that uh, some of you perceive me as walking according to the flesh. Look at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to, notice the phrase here, the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Paul says here that if you don't want to walk according to the flesh, it begins with winning the battle where? In the mind. In the mind. You must cast down imaginations. You know what? Uh, No one knows what you think except you and God. No one knows what goes on in that head of yours except you and the Lord, unless you open up your mouth and express it. And the Bible says we've got to arrest, we've got to bring into captivity every thought, and we have to submit it to the Lord. It begins there. Uh, I have a phrase for you I'd like for you to jot down in your notes. It goes like this. Slave to self, die by your sin. Servant to Christ, die to your sin. Slave to self, die by your sin. Slave to Christ, Die, or rather, servant to Christ, die to your sin. You see, uh, if you if you die by your sin, please understand this. Our flesh is bent towards sin and death and destruction. If we want to be a slave to sin, then just let your flesh call the shots. Let 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 sin reign in your mortal body. But if you want to be a servant to Christ, then you've got to die. To your sin. You've got to take those fleshly desires and you have to nail them up there on the cross each day and die, deny your flesh. Here's a good rule to live by. Um, now when it comes to the flesh dictating to us, and the Lord's really been working on my heart about these right here lately, alright? The first uh, principle to live by is the principle of prohibition. The principle of prohibition. If my flesh wants it and the Bible's against it, then I must not do it. If my flesh wants it, and the Bible's against it, 
then I must not do it. I, I hear Christians take God's name in vain. Oh my! And they just throw God's name out there so flippantly and casually. Or they'll take the Lord Jesus Christ's name in vain. Thou shalt not take the, uh, the, uh, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Ephesians 4.29. How about drinking alcohol? The Bible says we're not even to look upon the wine when it is red in the cup. You say, but my flesh wants it. I enjoy it. Uh, uh, well, listen, if the Bible says it's wrong, then you need to live by the principle of prohibition. Now, not everything your flesh wants to do is wrong. Uh, let's be honest this morning. How many of you are hungry at the moment? Would you raise your hand if you're hungry? At the moment, all of the people that raised their hand didn't eat breakfast. Amen? And my hand's up because I didn't eat breakfast either. Um, you know what? There's nothing wrong with eating food. Is there? Nothing wrong with it. Um, how many of you are tired right now? Amen. Go home and take a nap. Amen? Sunday afternoon nap at, at 10.30 in the morning. Amen? How about this principle? The principle of moderation. Now, people get these two mixed up. Well, it's okay to cuss as long as I do it in moderation. No. If the Bible says it's wrong, you live by the principle of prohibition. If the Bible allows it and your flesh wants it, you live by the principle of moderation. If my flesh wants it and the Bible allows it, then I must limit my involvement. I must limit my involvement. You know what? There's nothing wrong with sleep. The Bible encourages us to get rest. But if all you do is sleep all day, you're a bum. Right? Man does not work. What, what's the Bible say? Man does not work. You guys are awake. Amen. Neither shall he eat. Right? Uh, there's nothing wrong with eating. We need to eat to live. But some people live to eat. Right? Uh, does the Bible allow us to watch sports? Yes. Uh, Paul talked a lot about sports. If all you do is watch sports 24-7, well, you, that thing becomes a sin because it's out of balance. The Bible talks about in Proverbs 14, a false balance being an abomination of the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And so we need to live by the principle of moderation. You know what? Every time that my flesh wants to stop and get a cup of coffee from a coffee shop, I shouldn't stop every single time. I need to learn how to tell my flesh no. You need to learn how to tell your flesh no. It's the principle of moderation. We must learn to deny our flesh. Number two, we must die to self. We must die to self. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. And the um, references on the screen are mixed up. That's my fault. I sent them over backwards there. My apologies. We must die to self. Look at verse number 14 there. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. If one died for all, then we're all dead. What does this mean here? That, that seems like strange language. Jesus died for all. Now we must die to ourselves. How does that work? Die to ourself? Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Paul worded it this way. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. What? You crucified with Christ, but you live? He says, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does it mean to die to self? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, Paul worded it this way. He said, I die daily. 
Let me uh, illustrate this this way. Throw that first picture up there for me, Brother Joe, if you would. Many of us come to God like this. Lord, here's my plans for today. I just need you to sign off on it. Anybody see a problem with that? We are dictating to God what we want to do. You know how a lot of times we pray? We pray and say, Lord, I want you to give me this and this and this and this and this, and I want you to allow me to get this job, and I want you to allow my kids this and this and this and this. Lord, would you give me that? And when God does not sign off on what we want, we say, God, you don't love me. You must not love me. God says, wait, we've got this backwards here. You see, if I'm going to die to self, throw the next picture up there, then this is how it ought to work. Lord, here's my signature at the bottom, and here's a blank sheet of paper. Lord, what would you have me do today? See, Paul said, I die daily. You know what that means? Each day, proverbially, he hands God a blank sheet of paper with his signature at the bottom and say, God, what would you have me do today? You say, but pastor, my schedule is set day in and day out. Your, your, look, your schedule may be set with work and taking care of a family or all of the other responsibilities that you have in life, but your thoughts are not set, right? Who you speak to and how you speak to them is not set. God says, if you're going to die to self, then I want you to give me a piece of paper and let me write on that paper what I want you to do today, who I want you to talk to, how I want you to behave. You need to crucify your flesh and turn your daily agenda, your life agenda over to the Lord and say, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus, you died for me. I can die to my flesh and I can live for you. Number three, and lastly, notice, we are to, we must delight our Savior. The three actions that come from the love of Christ constraining us, we saw deny our flesh, die to self, and notice number three, delight our Savior. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And look with me at verse number 15. The Bible says, And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. I wish, I wish I could get us into a time machine and take us back to the night Jesus was arrested, where we could just watch from a distance without being seen ourselves. We could watch him be betrayed by Judas. We could watch him first sweat blood in the garden in agony. We could watch him be betrayed by Judas and arrested and taken before the high priest. We could watch him be spit upon and his beard pulled and We could watch him be taken before Pilate and a bloodthirsty crowd mock him and cheer for him to be killed. I wish we could stand there at the foot of the cross and watch him in agony as blood drips from his body. You know, I think that if we could physically see it, It would do to us what it did to disciples. You see, 
the disciples were pretty lousy Christians until they realized what Jesus did for them. And then when they saw the resurrected Christ, it totally changed them. We can't see it with our eyes. But through the Spirit of God working in us, we can realize just how much Christ loves us. And my friend, that love ought to put guardrails around our behavior. It ought to change the way that we speak to each other. It ought to change the amount of time we spend with the Lord and for the Lord. It ought to guard us, restrain us. It ought to propel us forward to do a great work for God. Why do Christians avoid these three things? Can I tell you why? They're not focused on the love of Christ. They're focused on loving themselves. It's time, Christians, we quit focusing on self. We start focusing on the great love of our Savior. We'll let His love constrain us. Boy, that'll keep us on the straight and narrow. That'll allow us to pick up our cross, follow our Savior, and do so gladly. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us to deny our flesh, die to self, and work to be a delight to you, our Savior. Lord, we live in a narcissistic, self-centered, selfish society that worships comfort, that worships ease, that worships convenience. Lord, we are more concerned about what makes us comfortable than what makes us Christ-like. Lord, may we follow the model that you've laid out in Scripture. May we, Lord, be concerned about following the guidelines you've laid out for us because you have loved us and do love us so deeply. Oh, Lord, please convict us. Help us to be more fervent in our love for you. In Jesus' name.